we would consider in the preaching of the Word of God, the Gospel, the Sixth Commandment, you shall not kill or murder. You shall not murder. And we have a help here in the Heidelberg Catechism to guide us from the Scriptures and to the Scriptures and into this life, an ancient creed of the Church and the Reformed tradition. In Lord's Day 40, the back of your Psalter hymnals, page 53, and asked plainly, what is God's will for us in the Sixth Commandment in question 105? So what does God mean when he says, you shall not murder? And there, the answer is given, and we give it because we say I with the, the, the Heidelberger here. I am not to belittle, insult, hate, or kill my neighbor. Not by my thoughts, my words, my look or gesture, and certainly not by actual deeds. And I am not to be party to this and others. Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge. I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either. Prevention of murder is also why government is armed with the sword. In this question, does this commandment refer only to killing? And here, God gets, uh, the catechism gets at the heart, the, the source of murderous deeds. By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. In God's sight, all such are murder. And then is it enough then that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? And No, it's not. There's a positive requirement. By condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly to him, to protect him from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. You have a a rather thorough look at the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. We want a, a biblical look to have as well in light of the creed of the church to assure ourselves of the, the, the wonderful apostolicity of this explanation of the catechism. So we want to turn to the word of God itself, and we'll be referring to many passages in the sermon, but I want especially us to look at two not the one printed on your bulletin in Ephesians 4.23, but Ephesians 4 nonetheless, but also James 4. I think recently I brought up James 4 in connection with another commandment or aspect of our sanctified life. But we look at that again, James 4, beginning at verse 17 through the end of the chapter, and then, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, 17 to the end of the chapter, and then James 4, 1 to 10. And there's some uh, piercing words from the sword, the Bible, uh, that uh, instruct us and, and convict us of the sin of our own flesh and instruct us how to live in obedience to the sixth commandment and to all the commandments of God. Ephesians 4, here we have the applicatory part of the epistle of Paul. The first chapters are of the doctrine, 
of, of God, the truth of God as it is in Jesus, predestination, things like that. And then chapter 4, uh, following the, some application here. Verse 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility or vanity of their mind. You're not to be like Gentiles, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need." Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 4, James 4. To the church, to the people of God, is written, James 4, 1 through 10, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, or passions, we could translate, that war in your members. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? There, reference to Galatians 5, New Testament scriptures. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. 
Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Thus far we read the word of God in Ephesians 4 and James 4. May God bless us with pious and practical Christianity uh, so that the word of God is sanctifying us to be his in this world. The sixth commandment, you shall not kill, you shall not murder. Sixth commandment comes to us today and we're we're mindful of the fact that we live in a murderous world, an angry world. It's a mad world. It's a mad, mad world. People are angry all the time. And they're mad at this and they're mad at that and they, they protest this, they protest that, they shoot up this school, they, they shoot up this other place and, and the media brings all of this madness to us. You can hardly avoid it if you turn on the television or the internet, if you surf. Uh, whatever you're surfing, the waters are bloody. And it's a scary world to live in. A mad world that's chaotic and society's upheaval is evident all among us. And, and it's, it's amazing that God put up, puts up with all of this because the madness is directed so much so that it, it's, a, it's a part of a, a murderous society in which you live and which people murder one another with their words and with their attitudes and with their conspiracies and in their politics and with their guns and knives and and tanks. We live in a murderous society whose murder is rooted in madness and whose murder, truth be told, is an attempted murder of God. This is the root of the sixth commandment when we would dare to take others' lives in our hands and chew them up even over breakfast with our words and slander, we are attempting to murder someone who was created anyway originally in the image of God. And we don't like the fact that there is someone in our way, this is how it goes, someone in our way who pulls us over on the road and so we're, when we honk the horn, not only or otherwise gesture in anger, we're not admitting that we are very happy at all with the providence of God. It's always, isn't it, sin, even sin against human beings, which has its root in a sin against God. That's the problem It's a mad world, an angry world, a murderous world, and it's all about man's inhumanity to man, not foremost, but man's ungodliness towards God. We've been thinking of this as we have thought about, meditated upon, and preached the the first five commandments and the theology of it all, the God of the commandments, But we need to be reminded once again, because it seems such an outlandish thing and not even possible for Christians, that we ourselves are a part of the murderous world and the mad world. We have the problem of sin that remains, and this is that to which I refer, the flesh in which dwells no good thing. 
And that's why it should not have shocked you when you were told, and, and I was told by God through James, um, that we are those who murder. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war. James is pulling no punches here when he speaks of us punching one another and being critical of one another and slanderous and tearing one another apart or rolling our eyes at certain people in the congregation. James and God through James is reminding us that we're the ones who have to deal with this commandment very humbly. And so it's not, as I used to think, they murder, and they are the murderous ones in need of, of salvation and deliverance. It's they, yes, and it is we who need such deliverance. And this sets us on the right path, you know, don't you? This theology here, this revelation of what God requires and over against the backdrop of our own anthropology, our own humanness and sinfulness, is very humbling. And it only serves to lead us who are given grace to Jesus Christ. He is the one who died for sinners, even murderers like us. So we want to consider the... Uh, obeying the sixth commandment, I want to take this perspective, anger. I want to obey the sixth commandment with anger like the Lord's. That's a, maybe a unique perspective. You've never heard of that. Told, after all, in the catechism, nobody should be angry. We shouldn't do that. Well, there's a kind of anger that we must have the anger of the Lord. So we want to consider the commandment itself briefly and this anger, the anger of saints, that's absolutely crucial to have if we would deal with the sin of murder and ourselves not committed and if we would know the gospel. But then we want to consider the peace in the midst of the war. James writes to of wars and fightings that, coming, that come from among the people and we need to know also the peace that is to be had in this murderous, mad, mad world. God forbids hunting, no, wars, even just ones, no, but murder. That's the idea of the Sixth Commandment. Some of you are probably glad I mentioned hunting right away as not being forbidden here. It's that season of the year. Hunting's not forbidden. Lawful taking of game, good thing for the ecosystem and all of that. We're not against hunting as we declare the sixth commandment, you shall not kill, and interpret that to mean rightly, you shall not murder human beings. Very important. Having said that, it is striking, and I've taught my children this, that when one has a sense of the value of life, you are hesitant before you just shoot up the backyard and kill all the bunnies and, and shoot the songbirds out of the trees. When you understand 
that life is special. In the Old Testament, they even said that the soul of, uh, of an animal was in its blood. They weren't supposed to eat the blood in Israel. There was something about that animal life, that, that zoe, that life that was more than plant life, that was special. There's animals in heaven, you know, beloved, not just the domesticated ones, man's best friend in Fido, but you know, lions and tigers and, and, and bears and, and all of this. And they lie down together with the lambs, and, and it's, it's bliss and peace. There's something about this. When a human being, a child of God, understands the significance of the sixth commandment, and God says, do not kill, there is a general application to being aware of a kind of sanctity, a kind of sanctity of of all life. And so when we kill, it's not just to go on the rampage. It might be for food. It could be for a rack. That's okay. But there's something here that we're reminded of. And that's why there's laws even in the Old Testament against brutality to your ox or something like that. You, You don't muzzle the ox. You feed the ox and all of these things. And so, but now we're dealing with human beings. It's clear from that. The Bible speaks of the fact that you, you must not harm, kill, be malicious toward human beings. God made human beings in the image of, of God in the beginning. And even though sin has so tarnished the image that the very substance of it is, is no longer, there's no righteousness and holiness and true knowledge of God in depraved sinners anymore. There's just a vestige, a vestige in man's humanity, man still being a human, that reminds people that humans are special creatures. But because God made humans on that sixth day, the special act out of the dust of the ground, breathing into his nostrils the breath of life and and made them originally to be these special people who would represent him, who would lead the way in the praise of all creation of the maker, God says, don't you dare touch that human life. Now, when a man murders or a woman murders or child murders another, however, the government may touch that human life and execute that human life and, and must, except, I suppose, in exceptional cases, and there's all kinds of casuistry and reasons that people give to let people off the hook from the death penalty. But Genesis 9 and verse 6 reminds us, as the Catechism does, God has given the sword to prevent murder, And a great way that murder is prevented is by executing the murderers. And so that's a very important aspect of this commandment. We dealt with that in particular before in sermons past. We're not going to focus on that, but just murder in general, which we're told is this malicious and hateful looking at, gesturing toward, or speaking about, or even taking up the sword with regard to us toward other people. That's what's forbidden. We're not to take the neighbor's life. 
We're not to take his, the neighbor's reputation. This is all in, with regard to that and kill the person with our words. No matter what that is, what that person is. Uh, we're not to take vengeance upon ourselves. And you see, it's all of God. The fact that God created humans and you didn't. And the fact that God is holy and he is judge and vengeance is his. He will repay Paul says in Romans, these all combine to teach us the theology of this life that God has made and what we're to do with it and how we're to honor it, how we're to love it. And so we're not to belittle, insult, hate, or kill my neighbor. It's all there. It's all a part of it. How are you doing in this, by the way? I mean, how are you hearing this now? I don't know about you, but you know, I, I wrestle with these things and various manifestations of these things. Thank God for the law that reminds us of that which the world won't surely remind us, though it too looks with a kind of horror upon murder. But for all that, the world really doesn't have a clue. It's in darkness and in the vanity of its mind, Ephesians 4 reminds us, that's what the Gentiles are, also with regard to life. Hence, so many people who think that the taking of a human life in the womb is, is acceptable. You think of how terrible that thinking is. To be able to say, I'm going to do what I want with that little baby in my womb, so a mother says. To be able to be on behalf of a government and on the courts that legalizes this stuff, it's just preposterous. You'd think, wow, is there no fear of God in anyone's eyes anymore? Anyway? And you have to think of it, too, beloved, that Roe v. Wade is now overturned. We're glad for that, aren't we? But there's so much more to it. The abortion's still going on. The murder's still going on. And in a way, and I speak as a fool and as a man, as only from one point of view, it's almost worse for the child that's born and not aborted. Because look at the homes they're born into. And look at the learning that they will learn when they're born. How to ignore God. That's what they're learning. Family 101. How to ignore God. You're teaching the ones who gladly were spared the knife in the womb or the poison in the womb. But we're looking at the teaching that they will be taught, the learning that they will learn how to be heathen and haters of God, unrighteous. You wonder what's worse. And legislation isn't going to change that. Because the Bible says, and it is true, isn't it? There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks after God. 
We're all condemned before God and His wrath is holy wrath. And even though we cheer on a civilly righteous decree that there should be no more of this killing off of the babes, there needs to be the righteousness of God that's taught and it can never be. Except to be taught in the gospel and by those who've heard of the righteousness of Christ. And that all sin is a matter, first of all, of the heart. That's what the catechism reminds us of. By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, envy, hatred, anger, and vindictiveness, trying to get even. That's to you, children. He, he, he prohibits that you would even think a bad thought about your brother or your sister or the minister, your teacher, your parents. Oh, I wish they wouldn't do that. I wish they were nicer to me. All that kind of stuff. Beware. Be careful. And so it's, it's, a, it's a mess. It's a, it's a mad, mad world. And there's a world within. That's what James teaches us when he calls us murderers. It wasn't just that little group there that was really bad. They were not only murderers. They were covetous. They were adulterers and adulteresses. If you, if you read the Bible like that, you can quickly say, well, this part belongs to them and, and not to me and to them and not to us because we've, we've come a long way, baby. Don't read the Bible like that. It's God's word and there's application to all of us in, in all times. We are murderers and adulterers and in, in ourselves, Right? And so it makes it so hard to preach about this, beloved. Because the preacher himself is a sinner and the preacher himself needs Jesus and righteousness and needs deliverance and is a wretch. And who is this guy to preach to those people? And to dare to say, thus saith the Lord, you sinners, and at the same time, all the fingers point back to himself. But this is what's required. And then positively, we are called to love the neighbor. There's always these positive aspects of commandments. Have no other gods, have God. Don't take God's name in vain. Name the name of Jesus. Rest in God. Don't, don't work. Don't do your own thing. And call the Sabbath a delight. Don't dishonor your parents. You honor them. Don't kill. Love the life of people. Every person that comes in your life. Remember, this is the second table of the law. It has to do with your neighbor. And we're taught in the Bible, your neighbor is not the one you choose to be your neighbor. That's the beauty of the church, by the way. 
You don't choose the people in the church. God does. God leads people through the door to want to be members, and it doesn't matter their color, their nationality, their past, their present. doesn't matter if they smell or not. doesn't matter if whatever they are. They're your neighbor. They're your closest neighbor in the pew, maybe. And we don't have special pews here for the rich or the whatever. Uh, God's no respecter of persons, James reminds us. So, love one another. I recommend we start with words there, like prayer. This is why in the directory, from time to time, I say, please play, pray the directory. Pray the Bible, have the Bible in mind, in hand maybe, even quoting the Bible, not to be merely formalists in prayer, but to have in mind that you want to be guided by God's word himself in prayer. But also remember the directory, the, the people in Sovereign Grace Church. Now let's say we had 150 families. you remember that too? And it ought to be easy. We're just a lot smaller than that. And you go from, from B to, to W here. And you think about them. And you pray about what are their needs? Should I be reaching out to that one, to that family? Might I not be more bold to approach all kinds of people in this church? I hope you can do that. And to to befriend them and so on. This is advancing the life of one another by seeking to know the life of one another and to commend them to Jesus. And this is the great preventative as well uh, against talking about people and putting them down. And we're getting into the ninth commandment about bearing false witness here, but it applies to you shall not murder. Love your neighbor as yourself. You want to be treated a certain way? Then you do that to them. Be patient, peace-loving and gentle. Love your parents, children. And we need a lot of patience because we, we don't raise you perfectly. Be patient with our foibles. And when we show our inconsistency, be, be patient. And remember, we're remindful of the fact, you know, this, this neighbor, there's somebody even there before your neighbor. That's you love to take care of yourself. This commandment applies to, to ourselves. Don't, don't hurt yourself. I don't know if, how you guys can do it, if you go sky jumping or whatever, sky diving. Okay. All right. But you got to be careful. And your life that you would lead, you try to take it into your own hands. You're forgetting that others need you. You're responsible for those persons in your life. And when you just reach for the next candy bar or the next this or the cigarette or whatever, remember that you're called to promote health in your life. Now, we're not health and wealth people here, and we don't make a the Scientology religion or whatever, and the vegetarianism here. But Christianity applies to all of life, and all of your, your taking care of your bodies. Young people, too, take care of your bodies. Early on, get into good habits. 
with regard to drinking and everything else. We need you. You need you to be around as long as God wants you to be so that the foolishness of youth becomes more wisdom as you grow older. And you can't grow older if you kill off yourself. And you, you can't really grow in the Lord if you're just hindering your spiritual life by hating yourself. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you're forgetting that you find your identity in Jesus Christ and all of your life you're just identifying with that thing that happened to you a long time ago, it's a kind of murder of the possibilities of the person you could be because you're in bondage to that thing, that person, that bully on the playground. And what they called you and, and all of the, the badness that happened, you're bondage to that. Beloved, Christianity is about liberation from that and from everything. And you don't see even people presently in your lives as threats, first of all, but as objects of your pity if they're beside themselves and they're, they're just not getting life and they're hating you even. There's power that you have because of Jesus' blood and the Spirit to overcome all the death and all the madness. All these movements, black lives matter, all lives matter, me too, you too, whatever. The above it. So much of it is about rights. My rights, your rights. The Bible says God is right. And that's what is the truth. And let every man be a liar and let every man be condemned as a murderer and in need of God the Savior of murderers. That's what we need to hear. And then we fly to Jesus, the only hope. You know, beloved, I'm thinking that we need to linger on this. And we need to know something of Jesus Christ here in more detail than I am prepared to give in one sermon. Here's what I'm going to do. Leave you with this. Jesus Christ is the savior of you murderers and, and of me a murderer and of me a sinner. And now we have a certain power and piety and opportunity in this mad, mad world to know the depth of the mercy of God as we consider in this mad world that commandment, do not murder, acknowledge God, the author and the giver of life, and as we consider this among the neighbors in the mad and maddening world, we have an opportunity to witness 
There was a Savior once who died on the cross between two thieves and murderers and saved the one. And he died as one of them. That's why he was in the midst. And there is hope, therefore, for every murderer who says, Lord, I'm that bad. I am so unloving and uncaring, and I am so angry at myself and ashamed of myself. I need Jesus. Oh, help me. Beloved, what do I that you be freed to understand the glories of the blood of Jesus? It's not, first of all, that's not what we want to know. Shed for like as abortionists or for liberals in general or for the madding crowd. For you, that blood is shed. Now, enjoy knowing forgiveness. If you know nothing else, you know forgiveness. Walk uprightly. Keepers of the sixth commandment and of all the rest by the grace of God. In this mad world, a people at peace with God and one another. And it would seek the peace of many others too. Remember that and go your way, God's way. Amen. We pray, Father, that you would bless. We hear stammered a sermon or the beginning of several on the truth of the sixth commandment, and we need, Lord, to remember just how merciful you are. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you as a congregation, as families, individuals, the blood that's shed for murderers like us and just sinners. Oh, we know we have the beginning of new obedience, but what wretches we are, Lord. As small as the beginning, how unprincipled are we who are people of principle. How inconsistent and in need constantly of fresh applications of blood and of the giving of the renewing spirit every single day. Lord, bless this congregation. We've heard humbly the truth that humbles us all. Set us free, we pray, to be those who are truly pro-life, the life as it is in Jesus. That's whose life we seek to glorify in his wonderful truth. Hear our prayers for Jesus' sake. Amen.